This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome to a Monday night edition, a somber Monday night edition of Unswordsmanlike Conduct here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Mr. Swords is here as he is every Monday night to talk about the NFL, but Evan, it's over. Seven months now before the next NFL game. The, our, our, our season is coming to an end. Yeah, you know, it, it is, it is, but as anybody that is involved in football and media and podcasts, there's there's always more, right? There's always more. And the season might be ending, but that means drafts around the corner and trades and free agency and so much to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There's still – football never sleeps. It's not like there's going to be an off season, And this is going to be a crazier offseason than in years past with quarterback movement um, just never really happening uh, like this. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, let's do our not-sponsored – by White Claw, we can wrap up. Um, Evan, how did you spend your Super Bowl Sunday? Well, once again, I am in Dallas, Texas. So still in the, Dallas. Uh, still in Dallas. What is yeah, your for... favorite country music song now? Have you? How much country have you been listening to? I don't listen to country ever. The only time I listen to country is if it's on. Uh, this weekend, though, I went to Austin because a buddy is uh, looking to move there, so I was helping him look at apartments and, and stuff like that. And, we ended up going to a bar uh, that had uh, – they were playing pop punk emo music, which, you know, as you know, is yeah. a favorite of both of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and We have so a lot of was, feelings, Evan. That was great. I do have a lot of feelings. <laughs> so I was a big fan of that, but I, I ended up watching the Super Bowl yesterday in uh, Dallas at a, a nice little outside patio bar with good barbecue and – great way to watch football watching football in texas just makes sense you know oh my god were you um so are you just watching friday night lights a lot are you binging are you thinking about making austin and dallas a permanent fixture for you are you gonna say adios to la texas is my new home are you how many times are you going to be saying texas forever in uh, the not too distant future evan there is no world uh <laughs> in which i would ever live in texas mm. uh, if i if i did i would say austin would definitely be the place austin is an amazing city uh love love the city in general but love the views that you see especially the signage that you were sending me over the weekend you're a big fan of the signs yeah. So yeah, no, I was a I was a big fan of Austin, but uh, yeah, man, I'm about to go live three blocks from the beach in Santa Monica, so that's gonna be okay too. I don't know. Uh, have you tried Lubbock, Texas, yet? Before you settle on Santa Monica, have you considered Lubbock? Is that a 
is that like a, a, a racial slur? Like, what did you just call me? Lubbock. Is it like, like, yeah, that sounds really <laughs> like you're not supposed to say it. I don't Lubbock know what you're is, just uh, saying. It's where Texas Tech is. The Texas Tech Red Graders play in Lubbock, Texas. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm not going to Lubbock. No Lubbock. Okay. No Lubbock. Um, yeah, it was it was fun, man. Um, this is the first year I watched it with my girlfriend, and uh, that was cool. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a fun time, and still kind of stunned about what all happened here. And I want to parse through it. But before we parse through the game itself, Evan, there are some headlines that I want to uh, get through here with you. Um, Gary Kubiak, as we know, um, the so there's a rule in Minnesota. Friend of the pod, Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman will appreciate this because Vikings fans deserve nothing but the worst because of all their jokes about the Falcons and just leaning into that stuff. So I have no problem uh, making this joke that um, for whatever reason, Mike Zimmer is not allowed to have the same offensive coordinator for a two-year stretch. Like it's going to be seven different coordinators in seven years, which is just bonkers. Um, But Clint Kubiak, his son, spells it with a K, Clint Kubiak, has been promoted to OC in Minnesota to replace his retiring father because um, nepotism is not a problem in the NFL, sir. Yeah, it was just so blatantly, uh, so bad. I mean, you know, hey, looking at Kyle Shanahan, maybe, but like even Kyle didn't do it like that, right? Like Kyle had to go out on his own and prove himself. But yeah, I don't know, man. That's just... uh, and he might be great. Like, we don't know. Like, he might be great, but I don't like the look of him just retiring and then his son just take. I mean, I guess the same thing happened with North Turner and Scott Turner in Carolina. Um, I just don't know much about it. Do you know, like, how long has he been coaching under his he's dad? He's only 33. Like, only a couple of years because he's been off and on. The, he was with them. He's with the Vikings years ago, uh, but he's only, like, 32, 33. He was a defensive back in college, so he's he's learned all different stuff. Um but he's still young, man, and he has never been a play caller before in his career. So that is uh, this is going to be a big thing for him because thirty-two or thirty-three, never been a play caller. This is a uh, this is a big ask for him. It's just as a whole kind of weird. Um, I'm curious to see what Kirk Cousins thinks about it. Is Kirk Cousins going to be the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings next year? Oh, yeah, his opinions year, at least I, I i think we can qualm the fears from uh from san francisco nation that uh, kirk cousins will be there i don't think that's happening yet yeah well i mean we'll see we'll definitely see what what happens there very surprising though yeah joe barry speaking of surprising gets the packers dc job he'll be replacing mike Petton. Uh, very sneaky good hire for the Packers, I think. So um, the Packers opened up as the favorite in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. Um, the betting odds goes one Chiefs, two Packers, three Bucks in the top three. Um, oh yeah, who's uh who's number four? So we were going to talk about that. That was gonna I was gonna save that for the our time our team because I've been <laughs> saying on this podcast that the 49ers were an obvious bounce back candidate. Like I I I think people are just freaking out way too much about the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff. And I'm like, I think they still have a shit ton of talent and I think they're going to make some moves. And I think the offense, like we haven't seen Jimmy with these offensive weapons all at full strength. Like I, I think the Niners are going to be fine. They just had a season from hell. Like I would not be surprised if they had a bounce back season, um, but we'll, we'll get there. But Joe Barry, um, it seems like an upgrade for the Packers, right? 
So you know they, what they said is Joe Barry. They wanted they wanted someone. Uh, God, what is the name of the coach he came from? His coaching tree. Uh, which one? Joe Barry. Uh, what was his tree? Uh, I don't know the top of my head. Let me see. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Is it Pete Carroll? No, who is it? Uh, there we go. No, so that's the headline. The headline yeah. that came out today, about six hours ago, is that Joe Barry was hired based on Matt Lafleur's desire to run Vic Fangio's defensive scheme. Here's the funny thing: Joe Barry only played with Vic Fangio for a year. <laughs> yeah. Um. Not. <laughs> yeah. No. But uh, we'll we'll see. But I I do think Mike Pettin like they needed to make that move and. Uh, he cannot be worse than what Mike Patton was doing, putting Kevin King in the kind of coverage systems that he was being asked to get uh, put in. Um, the Jets, this relates to your 49ers, are receiving interest in Sam Darnold. Evan, do you – what is the – If I, I know um, that you're in on Sam Darnold. I know you're more open to Sam Darnold than the other quarterbacks tossed around. Like, obviously, you would prefer Deshaun Watson, but we – the Texans are adamant right. not moving him. The Texans should not move him. They should play hardball and see what happens. That's what I would do if I was GM. I'd be like, yeah, right. no, I'm not doing this. Um, I'm not trading a like a, just a top five quarterback for the next ten years. I'm just not like that's how you get fired. Um, right. I I don't know. I think this is interesting. I still go back and forth on the Sam Darnold stuff. Like he was in one of the all time worst situations. Um, you're a big Josh Rosen guy. They just locked up Josh Rosen for a year. You love it. Shout out to you and Lindsay. Okay. For, uh, hyping that stuff up still the Josh Rosen experience. Keep it going. But, um, what, what do you make of Sam Darnold's career thus far? And do you think his skills would actually mess mesh with um, Shanahan? Because I actually do. I think he and Shanahan actually make a lot of sense with each other. Yeah. So, I mean, here's where I'm at, right? If you're the jets, if you're Robert Sala, so there's a lot of there's a lot of we got to talk about here. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, John Lynch, 49ers GM, uh, was interviewed during the Super Bowl for his Hall of Fame induction. By the way, congratulations to John Lynch on being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Uh, and John Lynch uh, was talking about Patrick Mahomes, and he, who has always really had Kyle's back, and they've always, you know, been quiet, and they're very known for never leaking anything. He he makes the comment that he went at Matt Patrick Mahomes Pro Bowl, and he says the subtle thing. I told Kyle, we might have to rethink our draft plans. The 49ers were reportedly never in the market for a quarterback, no matter what quarterback it was, because they were thinking about signing Kirk Cousins the next season. But we always kind of thought that they might have just taken Solomon Thomas because he's a U.S. He, you know, obviously Solomon Thomas went to Stanford where John Lynch was. So the idea was that it was always maybe John Lynch's fault. Now, here we go. We find out that it was – Kyle Shanahan's fault right so long-winded answer I know but there is a purpose to all of this you got to be Robert Sala right you're sitting there you're watching all of this happen you're just a brand new defensive coordinator you're not going to say anything but you definitely watched it happen you watched the head coach not take the quarterback and now you're sitting here with the number three or the number two overall draft pick 
you've got your choice, Kyle Wilson or Zach Wilson, um, or Justin Fields. So you got to get rid of Darnold, right? You can't, you can't keep Darnold. I think Darnold's a great option just because of this one fact. Look at every player after they left playing with Adam Gase. The Ryan Tannehills, right? You look at how well um, Devontae Parker has played. Uh, what is the Arizona Cardinals running back's name? It's too late at night for me to be thinking. Kenyon Drake? Yeah, Kenyon Drake. His resurgence after leaving Adam Gase. So if I'm a head coach, I would be down to trade for Sam Darnold just for the sole purpose of he's very highly tied, touted, considered to be the number one overall quarterback in the draft. And then he has to play with for Adam Gase? Like, I, I would I would think he's got a lot higher upside, upside than Carson Wentz. He's got a lot higher upside than Josh Rosen. So... I would be down more than any of the other quarterbacks outside of Deshaun Watson, like you mentioned, for a Sam Darnold, if it means I'm not going to, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be the quarterback. I've got plenty of thoughts on Jimmy wait, Garoppolo. Wait, you don't, oh, so wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're there now. You don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback in 2021. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying if that were to be okay. the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a whole we've we 49ers Twitter and me have been fighting all week long. Seems healthy about about Jimmy Garoppolo, but you know, I'm I'm you know I'm not Who's here. winning? I'm not here to. I think I'm winning. <laughs> I think I think it's so so easy. I mean, I would I was just lighting fools up on Twitter with mm. their bullshit arguments. This Don't week. get banned we, again. Don't get banned a second time. I mean, not like not like that. It wasn't like saying vulgar things, but I mean, I was just pointing out the absurdity of people's arguments so we can talk about that that. whenever you want me to talk about jimmy i got plenty to talk about yeah i um i i understand where you're coming from um we'll we'll get to jimmy in a second um the newest members of the pro football hall of fame alan fanica tom flores calvin johnson your guy john lynch my guy pay manning and charles woodson love them both uh, Bill Nunn and Drew Pearson finally getting in. This was like an all-time great list, and I'm like, do you have any uh, any qualms about any of them? I don't have any qualms. I don't. I don't have any qualms. You know, I'm a I'm a homer. I would have loved to seen Patrick Willis, uh, you know, upset the world and get what he rightfully deserves. Um, but I'm I'm okay. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the Hall of Fame is, is, you know, is known for making people wait. And that's kind of what happened here, right? You know, John Lynch, obviously known, uh, a guy that should have got in right away, uh, did not get in right away. Uh, 49ers fans, you know, were very, very happy about that, obviously, um, but, it, you know, it's just it's something that happens in the NFL. Uh, Rod Woodson, very happy to see him go in. Uh, Calvin Johnson, obviously very happy to see him go in. Uh, Flores, same. But at the end of the day, you know, this was a really exciting Hall of Fame class. I think we're going to look back on this and and talk about it very as one of the greater classes. You know, you got Charles Woodson, John Lynch, Calvin Johnson, 
Peyton Manning, right? Like those are some pretty, pretty heavy, heavy hitters. So I think it was a, I think it was a really good class. I think so. Um, and I'm happy for all of them. So that's going to be cool. I think there's going to be some really interesting speeches here. Like Drew Pearson, I'm already preparing to just be very upset. I'd be uh, very emotional listening to that because I think it's going to be very heartfelt. And I'm curious what Calvin does and what the Lions do and um, what he uh, what this all looks like here because it's not great still <laughs> between uh, well, Calvin they, and they they did say that he met and they had a good conversation, and that is after not you know going years. I mean, they can have all these conversations, talking. but it's like, are you going to pay him? No. Okay. Then... I know, but like, no, you you understand? They have not spoken since he retired. So for them to have met and spoke and had a good conversation, I mean, that's a difference of like it being ninety degrees outside and like forty seven. That's so sad. Um, hopefully they can patch it up and we can figure this out because it'd be better. It'd be good. So Lions, do the right thing. Just pay him. It's that simple. Um, last thing before we get into our time, our team, um, Carson Wentz feels like forever ago with all the stuff that's happening. Um, seems like he's going to get moved this week by all accounts, which again came kind of out of nowhere because I was under the assumption that when the Eagles moved on from Doug Peterson, that was them signaling we're betting on a Carson bounce back and giving him his own guy and like going back to what made it work a couple years ago. And now I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do. Like I, the fact that the Colts Colts make it all the sense in the world with Frank Reich and all that. And he's just a natural landing spot and all that. Um, the bears. Okay. So people are clowning the bears for this. Robert Mays, great NFL writer for the athletic Losing his mind over it, noted Bears fan. Can I say I love it for Chicago? And not because I think it will work, but I think GMs don't do this enough. Where it's like, you think you got time. You, hey, you had the classic whoopsie. You traded up for Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. That happened. You'll always wonder what if. You're going to be known for that. Doesn't matter. Like, that is who you are. Ryan Pace, you will always be remembered as the guy who traded up for Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes. Like, it's hard. It's not an exact science, but you you scouted wrong. That's it. You going nuclear and trading multiple picks for Carson Wentz because you know that if it doesn't work out this season, you're gone. Why not? Like, you're in a lame duck year. You might as well just throw shit at the board. And I love when teams do this. It rarely works, but if I am in Ryan Pace's situation, I'm doing the exact same thing. Like, oh, why would I do that? Like, who cares about the future of the franchise? Like, if I have to give up multiple picks for that, like, who cares? I won't be here. It's like the Magic Johnson thing when he quit the Lakers. I'm not going to be here. Like, no, do it. Take a huge chance. Call Andrew Luck. What's Andrew doing? Like, hey, come back, my man. Like, what what are you up to? Um, Get weird. Do what you got to do because guess what? It doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers is in your division. You're not winning a Super Bowl next year. There's no path to you winning a Super Bowl. Go make a crazy trade. Go trade for Carson Wentz. Who cares? You're Chicago. You have no history of success at quarterback. It's awful. Just do it. Go get your Rex Roseman. See what happens. Am I just someone who wants to see the world burn? I don't know. But that is where I'm at with that. What what do you make of my perspective here? So I... I think 
Khalil Mack is one of the greatest defensive football players we've seen in a long time. Uh, I think Roquan Smith is an incredible linebacker, right? They've had so many great defensive players playing for that team for a very long time now. I believe they are quarterback away. I don't know what's going to happen to Allen Robinson this year. Um, you know, I think I know that they have some young guys that they really like. I can't remember his name, but I do remember the story about they had a Bears rookie that's really showing out this year. Um, I think if they really were to go for a big trade for a quarterback that really could compete, they could they could compete for a Super Bowl. Once again, you know, I know the the Buccaneers really, especially in the Super Bowl, showed how damn good that defense was. But I, you know, I told you the, the Packers were frauds. And I don't think that they're the, you know, yeah, they'll be the team to beat next year because they always are in that division. But the Bears haven't had a quarterback in how long. So I think if they go for that trade, sure, it can make a lot of sense. Here's my thing. I don't think Carson Wentz is that guy. If if I'm the Bears, I'm trading for Sam Darnold. I'm not trading I don't think for he Carson I mean, Wentz. I think that also would make sense. Like they have to do something, and that's the the bigger thing. Just take a but I think Sam is, is that crazy that, that we're looking at Sam Darnold as a safer trade than Carson Wentz in twenty twenty one? No, not at all. Sam Darnold is doesn't have nearly as many injuries. But he's uh, never he been mo- as good as Carson Wentz was three years ago. Like not even close. Yeah, but, yeah, but once again, Darnold has untapped potential. Yeah. Carson doesn't. We've seen Carson's but ceiling. We've, seen we've also seen his we've also seen his floor. True. He hasn't he hasn't you know, it's the same thing with Jimmy. Carson Wentz has not been the same quarterback since he got injured. And do you think that maybe in the perfect situation that might happen? Sure. But what you can say is that Sam Darnold was supposed to be one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. Went to a really bad situation like the Jets. A really bad situation. He might not have been used. He has untapped potential. And the Bears have exactly what Sam Darnold needs. A shitty quarterback that can do just good enough in the beginning. Bring Sam in. Let him learn the playbook. Let him compete with... Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky or Mitch Foles or Nick Trubisky or whatever, you know, the combination of the same exact quarterback that both of them are. Um, But the only reason you bring Carson Wentz in instead of Sam Darnold is that so you can have Carson Wentz and Nick Foles as your quarterbacks and then Carson Wentz will lead you to like nine wins or something like that and he'll get injured and then Nick Foles will come in and win the Bears Super Bowl. Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm just excited to see what happens there, I guess, at the very least. Um, all right, let's do our time, our team. Falcons, not a lot really going on with the Falcons. All I can say is Mike Renner, friend of the pod, PFF, um, released his mock draft today that everyone should check out. Um, he, uh, to hurt my feelings, as Mike is known to do, being a Bachelor alum, uh, he proposed a Panthers trade with the Falcons where the Panthers trade up to number four and take Justin Fields, and then the Falcons end up taking Kyle Pitts at number eight. And look, if <laughs> this one, like, I went back and forth. Like, I was a 
immediately repulsed by the idea of trading out of a top four pick for a tight end. Like, just that whole thing. And then you think about who the best teams in the NFL are now and what they have. And, like, those mismatch options, those guys over the middle were Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Your guy, George Kittle. They thrive in the middle of the field. They thrive in those matchups. They thrive underneath. It sets up things downfield for your Brandon Ayuk's and your Tiger Kills. Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, we have the great downfield guys. We don't have the guys over the middle. Hayden Hurst is okay. Um, Russell Gage showed flashes last year, but um, Cal Pitts with Calvin Ridley, with Julio Jones, um, I, you're not covering all that. And you could see an avenue of 11-5, and 12-4 with that group if they're all healthy with Matt Ryan. And this offensive line and getting a little bit better and a smarter offensive staff. All that. But I don't know how many times the Falcons are going to be in a position to take a quarterback in the top five. And this is something that I'm just very nervous about, is that I think Matt Ryan's got several more years left of elite quarterback play. And by elite, like top 10 to 15. And if you have the right skill talent around him, he can still win a Super Bowl. However, I don't know when the next time the Falcons will be in this position. And quarterbacks, generally speaking, yes, there are the ones who fall out of that, the Mahomes types, the Wilson types, but those are harder. Most successful quarterbacks are taken in the top five. You can go year over year. That's where they're taken. And I just would be terrified, especially if you're Terry Fontenot in this new organization, Kyle Smith, all these guys, to not pull the trigger on somebody. Whoever you like the most, do that and start over. Start fresh. Um, but I also understand the other side where it's like, well, at least we know what we have in Matt Ryan and we know that if we drafted Kyle Pitts, we made that trade. We would be good, and our contending window would be a little bit longer. I don't know. I I go back and forth on this, but um, Kyle Pitts in Atlanta would be fun. He'd be used incredibly well. He would be a matchup nightmare and just incredibly benefit from having Julio and Calvin Ridley on the field with him. But uh, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, so I think what we're about to see right now is a very good indicator of what might happen here. Matt Ryan famously does not have a contract for him to be cut or traded. He's got like a $23 He's million. He's here for this year, no matter what, like there is no right. path to him not be on this roster next year. Right. Exactly. But at the end of the day, right? Like if you look at Carson Wentz's salary right now, who they're looking to, to get rid of, right? We're looking at a, what was it? A, some ridiculous cap hit. No, they're eating a. I think they're eating more money than the Falcons would if yeah. they were to trade. I'm pretty sure. Twenty, it's, yeah, twenty four point five million dollars is the out if they trade him, and Matt Ryan is twenty six million. Mm. So it's it's very similar. So I'm really what I'm saying is I'm very curious to see what they do with Carson Wentz because we might see a trend of people saying we're willing to take the cap hit to get rid of a bad contract. But Carson Wentz is obviously much worse than Matt Ryan. But this is what I'm most curious about. And, you know, I'm the 49ers fan who didn't draft Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Can the Falcons, can the Jets, can any of these teams drafting top five really really afford to pass up a quarterback if he's there if justin fields is there if zach wilson is there can you really afford to pass on the next patrick mahomes the next deshaun watson 
So I I have a lot of things that I think that the Falcons do could do right there that are very exciting. They've got Julio, they've got Calvin Ridley. You know what I'm saying? Like Matt Ryan is a great quarterback in a good situation. They need to figure out what's going to happen with Alex Alex Mack because it looks like he's going to be a 49er next year. Wants to play with his old coach. But there's a lot of fun things that they could do, right? Kyle Pitts is a great example of that. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would want to see them do. I just think that Matt Ryan almost won them the Super Bowl. You can't get rid of him because of the contract. So you might as well go big. How many years do you think Julio Jones has left? I, uh, I think he likes football, and I think he – I don't – He's 32. He turns 33 this year. Uh, I mean, are, are you saying just in general or his elite play? How many t- how many years do you think he he has as a F- Atlanta Falcon? As long as he wants, I think. Okay. Because, I mean, let's get real wild. What about drafting Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle? No, no. Fireball offense. Fireball offense at number four. You think so? Yes, yes. When did they draft Julio Jones? Eight? Yes. Yeah. Different scenario, different circumstances, different time period, different uh, all kinds of stuff that was different. The only reason why I say that is You also have Calvin really, Ridley behind him. Like that's the other thing. Who's no, number one? There's no premier pass rusher. You might maybe go corner. I don't know if you want to go corner at four. I don't hate Panay so, Sewell. I'm opening up more and more to Panay Sewell. Once definitely. once again, I mean, you know, I've talked about him. Panay Sula might might be gone at three, though. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. The the Falcons are going to be a very interesting case study when it comes to football because they have a very strong pick with a quarterback they can't get rid of. And, you know, I mean, like, I would like to see him go edge, but you can't go edge at four with the edge class they have. No, they can't. Your team. What? They might trade back, man. I really hope not. I, I do not want this at all. With um, the 49ers. Yeah. Well, your team. What what, do you, what have we missed in the last week? What uh, what do you, what would you like to uh, bring to the table about uh, the San Francisco 49ers? So the last time we spoke, Matt Stafford was no longer going to be traded, done deal, to the San Francisco 49ers. Right? Since then, 49ers fans as a whole are trying to figure out what's going to happen at their quarterback position. Here's my, you know, I talk too much. I talk too long. Let me wrap it up as quickly as I can. There are two two situations that will happen. Either the 49ers trade something for a better QB that they think is not, for someone that's better than Jimmy Garoppolo, whether that's Sam Darnold with the Jets, whether that's trading up to draft Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, which, oh my God, I'd cry. Um, if those happens, I would be the happiest person in the world. I would help Jimmy pack. But if they don't, and this is the thing that I've been arguing about, do I think Jimmy Garoppolo, who in the Super Bowl year had his starting center get injured for the almost the entire season, Joe Staley missed extensive amount of games to the point that he ended up having to retire at the end of the year. Their guards rotated. One of their main guards, their starting right guard, I believe, Eric Garland, uh, 
Ben Garland, something like that, was out uh, week one for the whole season. I mean, they just they constantly had issues that year. Do I think that Jimmy Garoppolo, with you know signing Alex Mack, drafting edge or offensive tackle or corner at number twelve, having Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle play on the same field at the same time for the first time in his career and him fully healthy back again, do I think that Jimmy Garoppolo can have a better year than when he was passing to Dante Pettis, Kendrick Bourne, Richie James, Marquise Goodwin? Because those were the, the receivers that he had his Super Bowl run. And it wasn't until that they traded for Emmanuel Sanders, a real receiver, Jimmy started playing great with Emmanuel. Started lighting it up. Some of his best games. So I'm sitting here, you know, listening to fans who are convinced that Jimmy Garoppolo is terrible. He's injury prone. He's trash. He's garbage. So many people are sitting there going, Jimmy, you know, not only that, but when he got injured the second time, he... You know, he didn't come back. He was he, he, he ran away. He hid. You know, he, like, he didn't want to play anymore. He just wanted to go hang out. This is the same quarterback who, high ankle sprain, came back after two weeks. Do you understand how long it takes to heal from a high ankle sprain? Long time. Six weeks at least. Sometimes longer. The guy comes... Guy, it's week two... High ankle sprain. Comes back two weeks later to try and help his team win in an important game. Ends up injuring it more. It never healed fully. Ends up getting a full-on another high ankle sprain injury. Not just re-aggravating it. Just a full-on high ankle sprain again. Almost has to get surgery. He's out for the rest of the season. The 49ers, like we talked about, the reason why they've got the number four best odds to re- to you know to re- beat the win the NFC, they have Nick Bosa coming back fully healthy. He injured himself at the beginning of last year, so he's going to be more time than normal to heal. They're getting rid of D Ford's contract, who obviously the, the Kansas Ch- City Chiefs absolutely fleeced for a second round pick. They're getting rid of. Uh, Weston Richburg, the center that they got from the New York Giants, who played like, you know, seven games total in two years. Richard Sherman is obviously going to be leaving. It's sad to see it, but, you know, it's a contract that we're, we're going to be happy to get that cap space. There's so many pieces, so much cap space coming back. We've got the number 12 overall pick, right? Like getting the comp picks from Robert Sala, uh, you know, and uh, the GM Mayhew. Um, there's just so many things. If I'm a 49ers fan right now, I'm so hyped. But all people want to talk about is the quarterback and how negative, you know, how much Jimmy sucks. I just don't get it. I think it's just, you know what it is? <sighs> when your team doesn't have a franchise quarterback, you just get antsy now. Like no one can be happy when your your team just doesn't have someone you're gonna be able to root for for fifteen years. 
No, because so many teams now have that guy or their franchises think they have that guy that when you don't have it now, like when you're one of those five to seven teams that don't have the, the clear answer um, and you know this quarterback is not going to be the guy five years from now, you get antsy and you're more critical. You make less excuses. Like if Brian Dabble took a head coaching job um, this offseason with the Chargers or something and Josh Allen lost him. And they brought in Bill Musgrave from Cal. And his numbers went down. And he was bad. And he regressed because his completion percentage shot up this year. It's insane. Like, he had a crazy year two to year three. He goes the other way. Bill's fans are going to make all the excuses in the world. They're going to they're gonna do everything to protect their guy. He is their guy. They believe they have their quarterback in the next 15 years. 49ers fans do not feel that. And he went to a Super Bowl with these fans. But the way they see it, and it's fair, is like, this is not the guy we drafted. This is a guy we stumbled into to get us uh, to competency at quarterback. He's a good bridge guy. But, like, we don't believe in him long term. And it's clear the 49ers don't want him long term. So it's like this weird thing where I I don't think it's ever going to be a rational conversation. I just kind of feel bad for Jimmy because... He knows he's not there long-term. Kyle knows he's not there long-term. You know, 49ers fans know. And the conversation, I think, um, loses a lot of nuance because of that. Is that a fair critique of this? I mean, yeah, but it's it's just it, – it's there's so much nuance with it, right? Like, you know, we talk about, like, Kyle and his absolute dedication to Kyle Cousins and, and because of that missing Watson and Mahomes and – and then getting Jimmy and then really, you know, like watching Jimmy Garoppolo play his mind off those first five games and then really seeming to kind of put the handcuffs on him afterwards and Jimmy regressed a little bit, but then it looked like Kyle wasn't letting him do his thing. So I think like so many fans that are just like, we just want to see you with the quarterback that you like, you, you know, because like it doesn't feel like he loves Jimmy. And he's obviously got handcuffs on him and never lets him do anything. You know, he ran. He, he ran the ball. Jimmy, he doesn't love him. I don't even think he does. Like he seems to get annoyed with him on the sidelines. He yells at him when he fucks up. Like, I mean, everybody yells at him. I don't think that's like an indicator. Well, I mean, it, 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 no, trust me, as a 49ers fan that watches the games all the time, I'm telling you, like, it's pretty aggressive. But my point is, is like we don't care at this point. I think people are just so tired of the Jimmy conversation because. Kyle's tired of the Jimmy conversation and it's like okay fine you don't want Jimmy as your quarterback if that's the case if that's the case well you drafted CJ Beathard in the third round and he fucking sucks <laughs> you signed Brian Hoyer and he fucking sucks you brought in Nick Mullins as an undrafted free agent and we thought he might be like a decent backup but no he fucking sucks too and so it's like you know you stumbled into Jimmy Garoppolo. He, you know, Bill Belichick traded him for a second round pick. Jimmy Garoppolo, before he got traded to the 49ers, if he was available this year, would get traded for two first round picks. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And it's like, you lucked into Jimmy. You're not happy with him, but you fucked up every single other quarterback choice since you've been a head coach. Go figure it out. We're tired. I'm I'm so over it. I'm so fucking tired of hearing about it. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Sam Darnold. I don't care if it's Justin Fields. I don't care if it's Trey Lance. Just go get someone that you want 
you love and that you'll actually run an offense through so that when it does come time to throw a deep pass in the Super Bowl, the quarterbacks actually got like warmed up throwing those passes and doesn't fucking sail it 15 yards past the receiver. It's fair. Um, you want to talk to Super Bowl now? Yeah. Not really, but yeah. <laughs> well, we won't I, spend as much time in the Super Bowl as we did the other I can stuff. promise yeah. you I've never been I've never been as little uh interested in the Super Bowl as I was this year. I um I'm fascinated by always the reactions after the game and things like that and uh the smartest piece from this came from PFF on um, Mahomes and the Travis Kelsey being taken away decided the game. Um, I'm going to read you this quote from the piece. Kelsey has destroyed the two high coverages designed to contain Terry Kill over the last two seasons. The space created underneath, as we talked about, um, from having two deep safeties allows Kelsey to find pockets of space and uses telekinetic bond with quarterback Patrick Mahomes to kill defenses. Among tight ends and wide receivers over the past two seasons, Kelsey has earned the second highest receiving grade against middle of the field open coverages. Only your guy, George Kittle, has graded higher and only slightly at that. Um, that, that bit, I think, is critical to understanding what happened in this game. But also, Shaq Barrett had a rough rushing the passer grade at 80 for this game uh game high he had 10 total pressures from just him like the amount of money Shaq Barrett has made he's a free agent this offseason which is amazing for him just from this playoff run is unreal uh shout out to JPP2 for his play but like it is a combination of an elite game plan from Todd Bowles and Eric Fisher being gone for the Chiefs and Mike Rimmers, the guy who replaced him at left tackle, graded at 40.9 in pass protection. And Andrew Wiley at right tackle was 32.9, even worse. Um, and maybe to put a bow on the stats that I was just sorting through this morning. Um, Brady had an offensive grade of 66. Would you like to guess what Mahomes was for this game? Like 74. 65. Almost identical. So when people talk about Brady and number seven and all this kind of stuff and dog and Mahomes and everything, I'm like, Mahomes played just about as well, and Brady gets destroyed. That game's not even close. Like, Brady is not surviving in the pocket that um, Mahomes was dealing with. Like, I think the pressure rate was 55 in this game. So every other drop back for Mahomes, he was getting chased and run for his life. Like, he didn't have time to do anything. So, like, the Tyree Kill deep stuff was not possible. Um Travis Kelsey with the kind of routes he runs didn't have time to connect. So Pat couldn't find him. Um, it was a bad, there was something that Eric Benamy and I think Andy Reed struggle with here. And this is something they're going to have to kick themselves over is like, they didn't adjust and they didn't start running the football. They did not do screens. They did like two total screens in this game. Like this is something, if your lines imploding like this, you got to do other stuff. You can't do your normal game plan. You got to do some screens. You got to um, do some flares. You got to do some quick stuff, the easy stuff. And they stuck to their, their guns and it just it did not work and i i think it uh is something that they'll have to think about all offseason but i do think patrick mahomes was incredible in this game and i think he deserves like all the credit in the world for keeping it even closer than it probably should have been i mean sure i get it 
Yeah, but Patrick Mahomes played like shit. I don't so, think he did. I mean, well, let me put it this way. Patrick Mahomes. He was launching 30-yard like sh- bombs, like Just flying like, let, forward. First off, okay, that happened. I get it. Patrick Mahomes was not able to play well, is what I'll say. Not that he was playing like shit. And the reason why is because his offensive line was unable to block. So, I think Patrick Mahomes wasn't un- wasn't able to play well more than he was playing like shit. But at the end of the day, you know, he, the, he had a lot of drops, but he was throwing in situations where, like, you know, like I wouldn't even call the receivers. I wouldn't even give them a drop. Like, I wouldn't even call that a stat. Like, when, they're, when Pat is running for his life and he just throws, lot, you know, a you know, desperation throw to a receiver, if they drop that, like, I don't know, man. What I will say, as a 49ers fan that I am so unabashedly, um, the Super Bowl is a great example of why you don't need a great quarterback. Tom Brady was efficient, but he was not great. Tom Brady did what he needed to do. He had a couple downfield passes that were clutch, uh, but he, he had a great scheme. Players were getting open, and he made the throws he needed to make. Patrick Mahomes is on, you know, unarguably the better quarterback right now, and it didn't matter. Patrick Mahomes never got to get going. It looked like the Super Bowl last year, except for they never stopped. You know, they never took the foot off. And so, I think, I think there's a lot of like talk about Brady's seventh and all of that. And uh, you know, I get it. Like, you, you, absolutely, what happened with Tom Brady will never happen again. No player will ever ever in their life ever go to 10 super bowls ever again it'll never happen brady's records will never be touched ever again but the super bowl that i think we'll talk about another story that we'll talk about down the road is it's a case study on why you need a good pass rush why you need a solid offensive line tristan Wirth could have gone to the 49ers I'm just saying. So that's a miss. Yeah, that's it, a huge miss. My point is though, the middle tier quarterbacks have the ability nowadays to win Super Bowls. Yes, Aaron Rodgers is great, but he hasn't really come close to a Super Bowl since the one he won. You know what I'm saying? Like Deshaun Watson is amazing, but he's not going to be able to fix a broken team. Having these quarterbacks are a luxury, but if you don't have everything else, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes won last year, but he also had some very, I mean, Tyreek Hill got wide open, right? You know, Frank Clark played out of his mind. It is just, there's just more to it. And that's just kind of what I'll say. There's more to it. Tom Brady on the 49ers this year doesn't even make the playoffs. I would agree. Um, but you know, with the Brady injuries, did what yeah. he needed to do. He didn't make boneheaded plays. He did not let the Chiefs back in with some errant throws. He didn't do the kind of stuff that could have changed momentum and gotten, uh, gotten them back into it. So I think he deserves credit on that front. Um, has your opinion following this game changed for any of the big players 
What do you mean? So coming out of this game, do you look at Kelsey differently? Do you look at Terry Kill differently? At their values differently? Do you look at Mahomes differently? Do you look at Arians differently? Do you look at Andy Reid differently? Do you do you ju- like has the I look changed? at Tom Brady? I, t- I look at Tom Brady differently. I absolutely do. I, you know, five Super Bowls. I was mad because the Joe Montana thing. Six Super Bowls. I'm like, all right, come on, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? But. Seven Super Bowls, one, going to 10 Super Bowls. I mean, I'm telling you, it is the biggest glass break aha moment for me. What Tom Brady just did was insane. It is, it, you know, it'll. it's hard to, you know, compete with Serena. Serena's, you know, un, just undoubtedly the greatest athlete of all time, period. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say um, she's undoubtedly. I yeah I would I would I would I would maybe just hang up right now if you even tried to argue that she's, she's without in a conversation. doubt. She's no, in no, a no, conversation. No 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 no. She no she is Michael the greatest Phelps athlete. Michael Phelps won like what ten gold medals in one Olympics. She, she won like twenty three Grand Slams. It's not Sarah even Miles Tiger Woods. No 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 no. It's not even it's not even up for debate. It's up for debate. These are conversations. These are not. Uh... You, absolutely uh, what is happening absolutely right not. now you're the arbiter i think serena's in the conversation but i don't think i, I think it's a little strange. i think any i i, I would definitely michael phelps think. argument to me has always rang the the strongest yeah i i will give you that but serena's been dominant for about twice as long yes so if you're looking at longevity it depends on what you're arguing I'm looking um, on everything. Looking total total amount of medals, total amount of championships or grand slams in this case. I don't know. I'm just saying, I, like eight gold medals in one Olympics is just like the the bonkers aspect to that right. is still uh, just like I, I don't I even. It. We'll never see a run like that ever again. But my point is though is it is on that level. Tom Brady is on yeah that level, and that you'll never no quarterback will ever go to 10 Super Bowls ever again. Probably not. Probably not. But never say never. You you never know. The, the you never know. Um any final thoughts on the Super Bowl and uh where we're going next? Uh any final parting thoughts on this season? I am very glad very glad that Tom Brady <laughs> is done with this season. I hope I don't have to see him in a Super Bowl ever again. Um, I'm happy for Bruce Arians. I'm happy for Mike Evans. Uh, you know, I'm happy for Devin White. There's there's a lot of young players on that team. Not a lot of the, you know, there wasn't a lot of, like, rangy vets that, you know, finally won their ring, right? I hate that Antonio Brown got a ring. Um, LaShawn yeah, McCoy man. quietly going back to back. Shout out to him. Wait, did LaShawn McCoy go from the Chiefs to the Bucks? Yes, he did. He went back to back, baby. Two rings, back to back years. That's wild. <laughs> is LaShawn McCoy a Hall of Famer? No, he is not. I don't know, man. Two rings. <laughs> that is true. Two rings. Yeah. Well, either way, he's though, more of a Hall of Famer than Frank Gore. The one thing I will say, <laughs> I no, he's not gone. No, absolutely not. I'm not even going to acknowledge that. I, the one thing I will say this: we didn't give the Bucks enough credit, and they proved a lot of people wrong yesterday. 
That's fair. That's fair. Um, well, that's all I've got, Mr. Swords. Um, what, uh, what would you like to plug or anything like that before we wrap up here today? It's kind of sad. I feel bad. This is it. Yeah. You know, I got to say, the Super Bowl lit yesterday. Go ahead and uh, pull up your phone and pull up the Apple App Store. Uh, you know, if you have an Android phone, do better. Be better. Um, but if you have an Apple phone, pull up the App Store. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Go ahead and pull up the podcast. Search Chase Thomas podcast. Oh, I like once this. you once you do that, mm-hmm. I need I need you to go down there and select five stars. We talked about it last time, and I don't think you did it. And honestly, I don't really appreciate it. I don't ask for a lot. In fact, I don't think I've asked anyone for much of anything since I started coming on. But I'm asking you to rate the podcast five stars. And if you did, at me on Twitter. It's now it's changed. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, Chase. Uh, but my new it's like too fast, uh, too furious, or too Evan, too it, furious. It's too. Thank you for ruining the setup. I appreciate that. <laughs> it is. Yeah. My since my old account did get suspended, uh, Evan Swords is now too Evan, too furious. Just go ahead and at me on there and let me know that you rated five stars, so I can shout you out. Awesome. Go do that, Evan. Thank you as always, sir, for that guy. Wherever he is in Texas, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Lubbock, Texas, wherever he is, um, on the move, Mr. Swords, for myself in here in East Tennessee, that is all I've got. Evan, thank you, as always, sir, for another fun year. Can't believe it's already done, but uh, we'll be back next year, and uh, we'll do some off-season stuff that will be fun. So we'll figure it out and talk and uh, all that good stuff, but thank you for making the time this season. I Greatly appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, we're back on a late night Monday edition of the Chase House Podcast. The Super Bowl happened 24 hours ago, 8 Players were inducted into the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame, including someone that uh, my family has an unhealthy obsession with, Peyton Manning, a school that I attend right now. But um, that is neither here nor there. I am joined by a roundtable discussion to parse through the Brady win, the Manning Hall of Fame induction, and all that jazz. Cousin Kyle and Uncle Dave are here. Uncle Dave, good evening. How are you? I'm doing great, Chase. Hope you are. I'm good. I'm good. Kyle, how are things? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Um, first things, uh, did either of you gamble on anything yesterday? Nope, I'm I did not. not. A, I'm not a betting man. Uh, I did do a group um, prop bet pool where you pick a a sheet of um you know different prop bets 
and it's kind of just you know everyone puts in you know ten bucks or whatever, and the winner gets the uh, gets the pool. Interesting. Some fun ones on and there. I, and I did throw in uh, in a non-financial way uh, my expectations on Tampa Bay before the playoffs even started, and mm-hmm. so I just felt like they were playing the second half of the season so strong, and they just were clicking, and it just. You don't bet against Brady in the playoffs, and that proved pressure again. Well, we'll get into it on the, the main NFL show tonight because I have a lot of thoughts on what happened and going back through it and watching some tape today. and um, I have a lot of mixed thoughts on how Brady um, played ultimately. But um, because like my biggest takeaway when I went back through in my notes, I was like, Mahomes was more impressive. Like Mahomes was getting off bombs last night where he was laying out and then launching the ball 30 yards downfield. Like he... He was sacked three times. He was pressured by ten times just from Shaq Barrett in this game. And like I said, I'll get into this with Evan Swords in a bit. But um, I, I just, <laughs> I was more amazed at how much he was running for his life on his 65 dropbacks. And I think he had a pressure rate of 55, which is just insane. Every other dropback. And the Chiefs did not adjust and do any screens, didn't run the ball. They just kept doing their offense. And um, the way they played, just Tyreek Hill got taken out. And it was a great game plan from Todd Bowles. But um Brady was fine like if you look at PFF's passing grade Mahomes and Brady had the same same grade and I think that's about fair because Brady would have died behind that Chiefs offensive line yesterday um and Mahomes was able to get out and do stuff to even keep them in the game but uh either way Brady still went undefeated since losing to the Chiefs and the the Bucks learned some stuff about the Chiefs in that loss I think it was week 12 um cousin Kyle is Brady winning this seventh ring does he submit himself as the goat? Is there any chance that it's still somebody else, or is Tom Brady just like, yeah, no, this this is done? Oh, I I thought I think five or six probably cemented him as the goat. Um, I mean, you can pick and pick and pry it. You know, some of the games here and there, it's like you know this one eight with the year they beat the Colts, you know, things like that. But you know, at the end of the day. I think six when, you know, no other franchise has even more than that um, for Brady to have that alone. Um, I, I think he smed himself at six at least. Uncle Dave, what do you think? Oh, I don't think there's any question he's the best right now. I mean, when, when like Kyle was just saying, when no other team has more than him and he has seven, that's insane. And the the fact of the matter is when I saw that when they went to uh, league championship games, he's been to 14, and the next closest QB was seven. And I expect Mahomes to be back several more times, and I do believe you know he, uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Um, I think it's kind of you know one of those things right now. I just don't the numbers just don't support anybody else like they do Brady being the best. And you know it's, it's one of those things when. Uh, I, I'm such a anti-New England guy mm. that I I never like to admit New England because I can't stand Belichick. But that being said, um, once he got to Tampa Bay, I'm, I've been a Brady guy all year because I just, you know, I'm so impressed with somebody 43 years old being able to perform at that level. And, you know, you mentioned a while ago about uh, the pressures on Mahomes and, and that kind of thing. And, the, the 30, 40 yard bombs, so, you know, close passes while he's under intense pressure. And 
um, Brady didn't have to do any of that. He was able to execute, and, you know, he and Gronk, his old running mate at New England, just made it look easy a lot of times. And, um, you know, it just seems like his ability to adapt is what makes him the best. Um, you know, being pressured and being able to, to make something out of it when you're younger because you have the speed and the ability to do so is very different from changing your game plan and your whole offensive structure. And if you look at what, you know, Tampa Bay did from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, they just simplified things and, and they started doing what they do well and got out of all the other stuff. Yeah, I think that's people went too far the other way with the Brady stuff in that, oh, he just guided him and it was just, this was not a the corpse of Peyton Manning type situation from um, Peyton's last year in like the nine touchdown, 17 interception year. And what he was playing like it it was not the same where Peyton was just like physically unable to be a good quarterback anymore. But um, I do think he did enough. I think he did things that Jameis Winston would not have done. I think he adjusted the offense to fit more in his image. And I think Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles deserve a bunch of credit for their game plans on both sides of the ball. Um, and this game is just an all around great performance. And I think Brady deserves a lot of credit for putting guys where they needed to go, getting Antonio Brown involved early, um, believing in like Leonard Fournette and using him in a way, just another cast off former top 10 pick. And um, Tristan Wirfs was a great offensive tackle pick for them at left tackle. And he did a bunch for Tampa in this game, but um, I don't know. It's, you know, what's weird. And this is like a cap to the Brady stuff in this game is that like Jason Pierre Paul, who obviously was a New York giant legend, at DE and we know about the New York Giants history with the with um, the Patriots and Brady but like this game reminded me Brady didn't have to make the same kind of throws Eli did in his two victories against Pate uh, against Brady but like it was the same story of Shaq Barrett and JPP were the joint players of the game like without them and the pressure that they got on Mahomes all day long this game goes differently and if the 18-0 Patriots don't have um, OCM in Europe and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul chasing him all game long doesn't happen. If Michael Strahan and Justin Tuck are not chasing Brady all day long in the first Super Bowl win, it doesn't happen. Like, Eli was not the best player. He made the best throws in the critical times, but, like, those were not Patriot wins because of what the Giants were able to do pressure-wise. That was it. Like, that was the game, is the pressure they were able to get to Brady, and Brady couldn't do anything with the pressure. And then Brady, to win his seventh Super Bowl, playing the way the Giants played against him and. I just I thought that was like a nice little wrinkle. Um, Dave, what do you think? Well, I think that, you know, you look back at the Eli thing for one, and the first Super Bowl, I think the Giants clearly outplayed the, the Patriots. That was, there was no doubt about it. The second was a little tighter, and kind of some luck was involved. But, um, you know, when you look at what Peyton, excuse me, what uh, Brady was able to do with, a brand new scheme that he's never played before this season. A bunch of players, you know, a few of them that are that were new. Some of them he carried with him, but again, he's walking into a system that was all new, and you know they struggled earlier in the season, and they, it took them a while to adapt. And now that they're kind of in rhythm, and that you know they were able to adjust in the second half of the season. And they got a chance to see. I, I do think that what made a huge difference, to be very honest with you, was that they did play uh, Kansas City before, you know, uh, a few weeks earlier. 
And so they did have a chance to see what, what is Kansas City bringing and make adjustments. I do believe if Kansas City and uh, Tampa Bay had not played earlier in the year, it might have been a different story as well. So I think Tampa Bay had the a, a time to make a bunch of adjustments prior to the Super Bowl, and they did them and did them well. And I do believe that met, that made part of the difference. But you got to give credit where it's due. They outplayed them on the field, and the the lines, the defensive line for the uh, Tampa Bay was was really solid. The defensive backs, I know David in particular, um, he was awesome. he was all over guys. Yeah, he was all over guys. And so when you've got that kind of you know coverage, it's just it's you know it was a team victory. And because Brady is the leader of the team, they gave the MVP to him. But you know when you, it comes to the who on the field outplayed everybody else i don't think there was a single player i think you kind of hit it on the nail or hit the nail ahead earlier when you talked about you know the defensive front the i i said i look at the defensive backs the offensive line did a good job fournette had a good game you know gronk had a great game so i mean it, it was it was a team effort kyle what do you think anything more to add on that yeah, a lot of different storylines. I think one of the, you know, to the same effect of, you know, playing the Chiefs earlier in the season, um, people forget that this team lost the Saints twice in the regular season and then they got to play them again a third time and made the appropriate adjustments and kind of just hit their stride. And I think a big part of that is the talent surrounding Brady, finally starting to click with all of that. You know, Antonio Brown, someone that was widely considered the best receiver in the NFL. You know, Mike Evans on the same team who's, uh, I guess largely overlooked, but you know, undoubtedly a top ten, if not a top five talent in the league today. Seeing all those guys start to click, um, Gronk gets back into football shape. Uh, Leonard Fournette's patient and starts playing a little less behind Ronald Jones, a little more in front of him. I think all of that kind of—I mean, it's just an unbelievable amount of talent they were able to pull together and pretty cheaply, I may add. You know, with Chris Godwin on his rookie contract and things like that. Um, you know, it's cool to watch all that talent start to uh, to mesh together. Your favorite Tom Brady Peyton Manning game was what, Dave? Well, it had to be one Peyton one. Um, mm. I, I'm 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 thinking that there was one of the earlier uh, one of the earlier Colts Patriots games. They both they went back and forth, and I don't even remember the year because it's been so long ago. But um, it was literally like the last team with the ball. This won. is the one in India, and I think. I believe it was, and it was a, a AFC Championship game, and uh, and then I believe it might have been the one the Colts won the, the Super Bowl on. But it was a it was one of those that literally was whoever had the ball last. And you know when you look at these two guys and. They're just their competitiveness and all that stuff. Um, they're just such great athletes, and they're such students. And one of the things that I was very impressed by, again, on Brady was, uh, I think it was in the championship game, they were pulling away from Green Bay. And um, Brady, while everybody else is selling, celebrating, he's over there looking at his uh, – iPad figuring out what's what's what worked what did you know getting ready for the next series and I said that kind of maturity and whatever carries on to the rest of the players and to the rest of the team who who haven't seen what a real champion looks like and so having that example I think probably helped him in the in the playoffs as well because it just you know he doesn't get rattled and I um, but but obviously 
anytime they played, I was always rooting for Peyton because he's my man. But I, I also will say that, uh, you know, the, the, there's respect has to go both sides. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Kyle, do you have a favorite Peyton Brady game? Do you have one that you remember yeah. your dad losing his mind more than other ones? Not not particularly. I don't have the, the best memory, and I'll show my age here a little bit. There's uh, there's not too many of those games that I really remember that well. Um, the one Dave mentioned, that Super Bowl is probably the first one I remember uh, watching because my dad was there with Steve. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, to be honest, most of those classic matchups, I, I can't say I really do remember them, um, being, you know, that probably 8 to 12 range or whatever I, I just don't remember football the way i would you know in more recent years for for those um more dated games um uncle dave peyton is now in the hall of fame he's one of eight guys it seems right that he goes in with charles woodson i really like that based on their college Love that storyline yeah like everything in woodson and them just different sides dominance on different sides of the ball but dominance no less um your favorite uncle dave college or pro moment for peyton manning was what? Oh, um, well, I would tell you the one that is most memorable is uh, Kyle's dad and I went to Florida um, to see Peyton play Florida when uh, he was a sophomore, and we were literally sitting on the very back row of the upper deck in the center of the end zone, overlooking the field, and it was literally like a video game, and. On the, I think it was the second play of the game, Peyton hits market snash going down the left side of where we were sitting on a fly pattern, and it wasn't a touchdown. I think they got him down at maybe like the one or two. But just watching the arm and the precision and all that kind of stuff, the guy had a cannon. And that was early, early on in his college career, and he grew much, you know, more uh, – exciting games after that but but seeing that one early when he was getting started was a big one and florida came back tennessee was up like 35 or something like that to seven at halftime and uh i think florida won like 62 to 37 or something it was it was a crazy number um they scored like 35 unanswered points in the second half and it poured down rain so it was a quite a game, but the just Peyton had he was he was a he was a star player very early on in college, and you knew he was going places. And, and seeing a chance, having a chance to see that firsthand, uh, I guess I'd I'd go back and say that was probably my favorite Peyton moment. I uh, so I'm although doing... I did like seeing him, I did like seeing him also lead the band in Rocky Top after a couple of wins too. So that was fun. I um. I think what people may miss about Peyton um, is that he he has a lot of like Brady does not Brady's more LeBron than he is Michael Jordan and I think Peyton is more Michael Jordan. Where like Peyton would be a terrible coach, he would be a ter- like he would be hard on everybody. He <laughs> he's also just mean. Like so, I'm going back what and I mean mean on the field and. He, so I'm, I rewatched, I'm, I'm doing this season, the 97 season, Peyton senior year. So I watched Texas Tech, Tennessee last Thursday, and I'm watching this whole game, taking notes, and there's this moment, uh, this was, I think, in the third quarter when Peyton decided to step on their necks, and 
Peerless ran the wrong route. So Marcus Nash was all over the place, and he, Peyton loved Marcus, and he trusted him. He just did five-yard outs into the flat, and no one could cover Marcus. But Peerless ran the wrong route, and Peerless was not Peerless Price yet. And he ran the wrong route at the goal line in the red zone inside the 10. And this is when they were up four scores. The game's over. Like, midway through the third, like, Texas Tech's not coming back. Like, it's over. Leonard Little is just a man among boys. Like, what he's doing in this game on the opposite side is just insane. And Peerless runs the wrong route, and Peyton goes over and talks to him. He's like, what are you doing? Like, just telling him which way to run. And he, like, is just openly showing the defense where he's going to go with the football. And he's just like, I'm, I'm doing another goal line fade. And this time, Peerless is going to run the right route. And you're going to catch it, and we're going to score, and I'm done. Because this is last, ended up being his last throw of the game. And Peyton just throws a goal line fade to Peerless Bryce, and Peerless comes down with it easily, and that's it. And he goes over and celebrates, and then that's it. Like he's he gets on the phone, and he does not come back in the game. They're up like forty-five to three at that point. But like Peyton wanted it known, like no, we're doing this again, and you're running the right route, and you're scoring a touchdown, and that's it. <laughs> like he's just a dick. Where <laughs> he was like, no, you're doing why, this. Why, why do you think? That, uh, no, I kind of take a different stance yeah. on that. Well, no, I'm like, not saying it in a negative when, way. I'm not saying it in a negative way. Is there? Yeah, but when the play is there, mm-hmm. and and it's and you execute it the way it was intended, it's successful. And all he did was give him a second chance. It's yeah, like, it was you just... know, you miss a free throw, you shoot another. You know, and you shoot another, and you shoot another until you get it right. And so I, I just think that they were using that as an on-field um, experiment because they yes. were they were shooting for a national championship that year. Yeah, it was a teaching moment against a Big Twelve. It wasn't like a Group of Five team. Like, this is Texas Tech. Like, it wasn't like he was doing this against uh, Arkansas State or something. It was just... Was that pre-Leach or was Leach there at the time? No, this was right before. This was Sonny Dykes' dad, actually. Um, Spike Dykes, um, I want to say his name was. Um, But, yeah, no, it's it's interesting to watch. And Peyton has a cannon in this, and he had some bombs downfield that were pretty pretty remarkable. Um, Do you think... What do you think is more likely, Kyle? Do you think it's more likely that there is another... Tom Brady in the next 40 years or another Peyton Manning in the next 40 years? Oh, that's tough. I mean, Tom Brady's longevity is just kind of unprecedented. I don't know that we'll ever see one. The big thing I I thought about yesterday was that with him playing Mahomes, if Mahomes comes in and and the Chiefs win the game and it obviously flips from 7-1 to 6-2, that's a – uh, I think Tony Romo talked about this yesterday after the game. But that's a that's a hill he can climb, uh, and that would put you know people. And obviously, we keep Mahomes in mind, given he's you know 24. He's got about you know whatever it is 19 years to catch up to Brady if he has that same level of longevity, um, and that makes it I guess at least imaginable. These are just you know, outlandish numbers too, right? So you can go to the Super Bowl this many times. Um, I think he, Brady's been to the Super Bowl more than uh, the rest of the active quarterbacks have combined, if I had to guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I can't imagine another player has that level of success for that long. Um, you know, and Peyton was great in his own right, but just, I, I think in a different sense. And uh, I guess it's easier just to imagine that someone else would do that in the future. I think that's fair. Um what do you think, Dave, before I answer this? I, I, I agree with Kyle 100%. I, I actually believe that, you know, somebody like Pat uh, Manning was good, um, and he had great teams around him to a certain degree, but, um, 
you know, he started out in Indy where they had no line initially, and, you know, they had no defense most of the time, you know, some of those years. And so um, to imagine another quarterback being able to come in and do something with, with those opportunities, you can see it. But having the kind of all the pieces together, you know, a solid coach like Belichick, you know, solid defenses, you know, players like, uh, you know, uh, what was this guy's name? The receiver that played at Marshall. Also, I'm drawing a blank. Um, at Marshall, uh, but he, not but, Marvin Harrison, yeah, Reggie Wayne. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the for Brady. Oh, Randy um, Moss. Randy Moss. Yeah. When you've got players around you, they're that that good. Um, you know, it's just hard to imagine anybody ever touching what Brady's done so far. And and the thing is, is there's nothing to say he won't be a, back again at the the Super Bowl next year. I mean, I would say that the the betting odds are probably in I think that, they're number three right now. The favorites right now. right now are the Chiefs. The Chiefs are yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's Chiefs one, Packers two, Bucks three right now. Yeah, and, and again, when you look at how Green Bay is with Rodgers at his age and Brady at his age, I mean, they're both incredible quarterbacks. They're Hall of Famers, but... I just feel like, you know, what does Rodgers have, one or two? He has one. He has one Super Bowl. Yeah, just one. Yeah, one ring. Yeah, and I think he's got two Super Bowls and one ring, if I remember right. But but the thing is, is like you, when you're looking at the, the opportunities for these guys to get to the Super Bowl ten times, that's just unimaginable from any player on any team at any time. It's just the numbers just don't work that way. And – um, so I just can't – I really can't conceive of anybody getting to to, to Brady's level of success um, quicker than they could, say, Manning's. But um, – I'm actually both, going the other like way. I, said, I think it's more likely we get another – because I think more and more athletes are taking their care of their bodies in a way that uh, Brady has, and I think more players will do this, more star athletes will do this. Um, and we'll see this become a growing trend, especially with NFL quarterbacks to do whatever they can to protect their body and play for 20 years. And if you get in the right system with the right coach, I, I'm not saying it's going to be it just night and day, but I do think with his physical tools that Brady, like you can find Brady's physical tools somewhere. You can find his football IQ somewhere. But like, I think somebody like Peyton or Aaron Rodgers, I think those are way more rare talent-wise, just all around talent-wise, where you're just like, that dude can make every throw. Brady was not someone who could make every throw. He's just the best all-around well, quarterback. Let me throw something out. Yeah, let me throw something out into the mix, Chase. When you get into your 30s, I said this about Tiger Woods. When Tiger was in his 20s and he was winning every tournament, he was invincible, I said, Tiger Woods is going to change when he hits 30 or early in his 30s because – He's going to have a family. He's going to have kids. He's going to have responsibilities. And most importantly, time is going to start to catch up with you. And, it, you know, somewhere in your 30s, your body just starts to react differently to stress. And, you know, as someone who's been there, I can tell you, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to go, dang, I didn't used to hurt like this. And when you get into your 30s and you're able to play quarterback and you're taking that kind of physical abuse – not every down, but maybe once every couple of weeks, you get a real shot. That can take a month to get out of. And 
I, I, you know, I get it that physically he's done everything he can to stay in shape, but just being in your, just being in your thirties and later is going to have a much greater impact on your longevity. And I said, you saw that with Peyton. You're seeing that now to a certain degree with Rogers. You saw it with Breeze. They're just, there's only so much your body is going to be able to endure. And that's where Brady is, to be very honest with you, just a phenomenon. I, I mean, he's, he's, he's had good O-lines and he's protected himself. But, yep. I mean, he's still taken quite a few shots and, and, and been able to continue. So I just, yeah, I, also I, just, I think oh, the Brady and the Rodgers, yeah, I was going to say, I think the Brady and the Rodgers is of the world. Rodgers is, I don't know if that's a, <laughs> the correct uh, way to say it, but uh, it can kind of be omitted from that category as good of a job as they do, uh, I guess, relative to their peers of not getting hit. I guess Russell Wilson kind of fits into this category as well. Um, and you could argue Rodgers at 30, well, I, don't, I don't know how old Rodgers is, 36 maybe? 37, um, had his best season of his career um, as a as a quarterback this year. And um, an interesting kind of um, wrinkle that I, I followed yesterday was that the Packers played the Chiefs, uh, you know, pretty well. They played them within a, within a score, or excuse me, uh, the Bucks within a score. It'd be interesting to have seen, you know, would maybe the Packers have beat the Chiefs as well. Um, so, you know, everyone comes into the season so hot on the Chiefs where they win a Super Bowl and it makes it look easy, and they come back with pretty much all of the, um, all the players that helps them get there. Um, they didn't really lose any key elements, uh, at least to my knowledge, and go out and get a flashy new running back in the first round, um, things like that, and they, they come up short in the big game. Well, I think that, you know, somebody described Mahomes as like uh, the all-Madden player in real life. You know, he um, he's, he literally is just so elusive. He's got so he's many He's what Aaron Rodgers was in 2005. People don't remember what Aaron Rodgers was when he was really, really bursting onto the scene. Like, this is what Aaron Rodgers was doing. Yeah, but, yeah, it, but they're, they're, they're liquid fast, and they mm. have the ability to elude, you know, um, any kind of pressure. But at the same time, you know, Michael Vick, when he started with the Falcons, was, was, had a lot of those skills. I mean, Jameis Winston has a lot of those skills. Cam Newton had a lot of those skills. And, you, you know, um, it's it just eventually, and it's not very long into your career, that stuff typically catches up with you. And so that's where you're more pocket passer, you know, able to make throws, very quick with the reads, quick release, all the things that keep you from getting hit in addition to your speed or become much more important. And obviously your offensive lines play into that largely as well. So I also just, just think I look view. at I think that's fair. And I also just look at it as like something I will never know and it's not possible to play this game of like how many but I think about this with the NBA a lot because there are about three to five guys that matter every given year. You can't win a title without one of these three guys. Three to five. And the rest of the guys, there are some people where if Paul George gets drafted by a certain team, he doesn't pan out. If Kawhi Leonard doesn't get drafted by the Spurs, he doesn't become a top five, top eight player. But there are also guys like LeBron. doesn't matter where he gets drafted. He is going to become the second best player in basketball. It doesn't matter where he goes. He's going to succeed. I think Brady falls in the category of like him in Montana, like and even Marino to an extent, where if they land in a different situation, a modern day Jacksonville Jaguars type situation, I don't... I'm not saying he doesn't, but I have my doubts. I think Peyton Manning and 
Patrick Mahomes, maybe not even Patrick Mahomes. I just think Peyton Manning and probably Aaron Rodgers um, fall in the category where like they were going to be Hall of Famers wherever they got drafted. And I, I just, I seem like I just think it didn't matter. Like I think Peyton single handedly just transformed the Colts, whereas Belichick was building this giant in New England. It was, he still had Bledsoe, and he had this idea, and he was just it was a stable organization that he was building, and Brady just maximized his talent in this incubator but like peyton was the incubator in indy and none of it works like dungy doesn't work all of this doesn't work if peyton is not drafted and he's not this all-time player um i also think andrew luck was this way too until he left i think we'll we always forget about andrew i think it's really interesting yeah. you said that i was literally about to chime in and say the exact same thing um that you know since him i think burrow and, and lawrence are those kind of caliber prospects that could eventually turn into those kind of guys um, but I was going to say luck kind of gets forgotten about and probably won't be a Hall of Famer um, as you know, far as I would guess uh, no, based he, on his tenure. Yeah, it's just uh, not well, yeah, You know, you look at he was, he was absolutely on track. It's just one of those things if you, you know, cut your career that short, because he's only, what, like 30, 32, 34, something like that. I don't even um, think that. Could have had quite a I few. don't even think he's that old. He might be 30. Yeah, he. Yeah, I could, I could be off. He's thir- He just turned thirty-one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say Luck is. He's young compared to. He can come back now. Like that's still being rumored. You never know. I guess. Um. I. I, I don't know. It. I don't. But again, don't he took it. the abuse. I mean, yes. he had no lines. He was always on the. He had road, a lacerated kidney. You know? Like that guy took all kinds of abuse. Oh man. Yeah, and 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 again, you know, I. I I don't think if if Peyton or Rogers had been hit like that and taken that kind of abuse, they would have survived either because they just didn't have the wheels. But uh, Rogers more so than Peyton. But Peyton, you know, he had the reads, he had the mind, football mind and IQ to to get rid of the ball quickly yeah. and you know not put himself in those positions, even as a very young quarterback where a lot of guys don't, and they take the abuse and then by the time they get the the IQ, their bodies are beat up enough that they can't execute the way they could have when they were a little bit younger. But um, there's no doubt that Rodgers was was going to be a star quarterback and Peyton was going to be a star quarterback. And I would argue that I think Brady was always going to be a star quarterback too. He was a good quarterback in college and not just average. He was good. Interesting. Well, the last thing we'll wrap up here. In Montana, you know, I kind of look at Brady kind of in the Montana thing. It's Montana was... You know, he was just a winner, even in college. Yeah. And um, well, your guy Dan Marino. Something about that mindset. I I still feel bad, and I don't know if people realize just how good Dan Marino was in a time where no one was playing like Dan Marino. Dan Marino was just born in the wrong era. I wonder how we oh, look yeah, at Dan was, Marino now because he was he played in the wrong time period. Well, he was the best of that '83 class, in my opinion. Um, but Steve Young has has rings, you know, and uh, you had just so many quarterbacks come out that year, and it just—I don't know—that that was an incredible college class. You had Blackledge, and you had Marino, and you had Young, and you had—I um, uh, forgot the guy's name who played for the Jets. Oh, Vinny Testaverde. And no, 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 no. Uh, before uh, Vinny, and. Um, this guy, this guy took him to the Super Bowl, if I recall correctly, and um, O'Brien. Oh, um, that's right, yeah. And, yeah. and then you had uh, Elway. I mean, that was just 
an amazing amount of talent coming out at that position in a single year. And Marino, in my mind, was the best. And he just didn't have the opportunities. I think he got to one Super Bowl his second year, and, and that was it. Yeah, that, that was it. And you never know. Like, that's the thing is, like, when we forecast these careers and, and Mahomes and what he can be, and it's like, do you know how long 20 years is? Do you know how much things change and how much has to go right in your life for you to keep getting back? Like, he's gone back-to-back, but you see how hard it is just to go to win back-to-back titles. And that's why it rarely happens. And the last team to do that was the 03-04 Pats. And, of course, it had to do with Brady. But, like, it's just – it's rare. And you always think you're going to get back, but um, it's – it's hard and only one team wins every year and the nfl is a parody sport it's not like college where you can just dominate year over year like the alabamas and clemsons of the world um where it's just not fair the resources are are not fair the money is not fair the booster situation is not fair the talent base is not fair like there's all kinds of limitations in college football but there's limitations to not exist in the NFL. If you hire smart people and you scout well and you draft well, you have just as good of a chance if you're the Green Bay Packers as you are the Buffalo Bills. It does not does not matter. Um, last thing, and we'll we'll wrap up here. Um, Dave, Josh Heupel filling out his staff, still trying to get his uh, new DC. Kyle over here, Alabama alum. Um, so Uncle Dave went to UT. I'm in grad school at UT, and uh, Kyle went to Bama. Um, and his cousin, or my my cousin and his brother, Peyton, is also at Alabama. But um, Bama has the best recruiting class of all time, and uh, right now we're looking at Hypel hiring a bunch of stuff. I will tell you, Uncle Dave, the best thing about the Hypel stuff at, to this point that I'm seeing and that I'm listening from other people is that he is building out a very complex recruiting base he's pulling people from southern cal he's pulling people from the right areas i the biggest worry i had about him was where he was going to pull in recruiting and that was the best thing jeremy pruitt did and that is something that no matter what if you want to get tennessee to something that it used to be the recruiting base has to be number one and i am intrigued by where he's going and who he's pulling and um i don't know i'm pretty optimistic about that and i'm pretty optimistic about the quarterback room um, but the defense, I don't know what's going to happen with the Ohio State linebackers coach because right now he is about to get a gigantic pay raise um, from this negotiation with Al Washington. Um, and Ryan Day is, by all accounts, fighting to keep him. Um, but, uh, yeah, what what do you wh- where are you at now with Hypo and everything? Well, I guess uh, initial thought is that he, he brings a winning attitude. I mean, the, the, the thing with Pruitt was um, – he had he had no success as a head coach anywhere, so there was nothing for anybody to really hang their hat on. Being a good assistant means you're a good assistant. It does not mean that you're a great head coach. And I think that what Tennessee has needed for a very long time is somebody to walk in and kick some butt and say, look, I've done this. This is how this works. It's fun. You know, and you get some enthusiasm going. And, I, I you know, I look at what, Kiffin has done since he left uh, Tennessee. He had he had mediocre success at, uh, at uh, USC a little bit. Um, he had okay success at Florida Atlantic, and he had although he had one good year down there, if I remember right. And now he's had okay success at, at Ole Miss, but it's fun. Uh, he makes the, the the game fun, 
And so Tennessee with Pruitt was nothing like that. And I'm hoping that what Heupel does is he gets us back to, you know, these uh, energetic, you know, outgoing, go-for-broke type offenses, kind of the old Spurrier mindset. I think he kind of started it. And, you know, that in-the-trenches defensive-offensive line stuff, yes, it was it, – it kind of is a foundation of football – but it's not modern football, and the kids don't care if they if they do that or not. They want to win. And Alabama, um, a couple say you look three or four or five years ago, they weren't putting up near the points they're putting up now, because Saban realized that himself. He had to get you know start scoring some points. And if you look at Clemson, if you look at Oklahoma, if you look at all these programs that are at the top of college football, every one of them has a potent offense. And so I'm hoping that. That will remain is a high priority. As far as D.C. goes, I, I, I just uh, you and I have had this conversation offline here several times about I want Steele to stay. From my That's understanding, I read something online. I read something online yesterday. He is still out recruiting. He was meeting with a recruit just last week. The guys, mm-hmm. they talked to him two or three times. He talked to Heupel. He talked to Steele. And he's still pushing for you know, uh, the, the kid to come to UT doing his job, which is what a professional and an adult does. Yeah. And so I know that the chances of this are probably remote, but um, I just feel like having a successful DC with experience, even if you just do it for the length of his contract, which I believe is only one to two years, makes a whole lot more sense than trying to promote somebody coming from a linebacker's coach or something else with no uh, D.C. experience. It's my understanding that the, the Ohio State uh, coach is probably going to be promoted to assistant D.C. or something up there. And so, you know, they probably won't be able to afford that either. But I, I well, like the offer the high. Like the out. offer that they are throwing at Al Washington is quite large. And this would be, I think, a big hire if they are able to pull. If, if they can pull out Washington, I will be extremely um, impressed. Um, they're throwing real well, money. The one thing that, yep. And the one thing I'll say about if that's the case is, again, Washington would be coming from a program that has a potent offense and high energy on the field. They're, I mean, if you look at the, the linebackers that have played at Ohio State just in the last, you know, four or five years, I mean, they're, they're all Americans, several of them. And they have, they play with an intensity that Tennessee has lacked. And, um, you know, what's the guy's name, Toa Toa? Henry Toa Toa. If he stays and, and, and can get a, a, a solid coach like that to help develop his town, he'll become even more impressive. And so we've, we've, I think that the thing is right now is that they've been down for so long that they just need a, you know, sometimes you have to have a little bit of a, 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 a hand-holding towards success. And it starts a little bit slow, but once you – once you get it going, it, it ramps up quickly. And, you know, back to the original conversation tonight about Brady and uh, Tampa Bay, I think down there Tampa Bay was an okay team, and Brady came in and showed them, hey, we're a good team. And it just takes a little bit of, you know, momentum to get started in that direction, and then it can pick up speed quickly. And I think that, you know, the recruiting will improve and some of these other things will improve. So, um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, my, I think I think this is the best of the coaches we've hired since Fulmer. Yes, and uh, and I mean, and at least he's got a winning record, and um, he's got resources that he can pull from. And I do believe that 
the end of the Pruitt era with all of this, you know, uh, potential uh, NCAA sanctions and everything associated with what's going on there is a chance for UT to kind of clean house on a lot of levels of dysfunction. And we need to get a different group in there. And I think bringing White in as the AD um, is a chance for Tennessee to look not just at, at football, but in a lot of our programs. So, you know, I'm a huge track uh, fan for UT, and that, that suffered under the last two or three ADs. I'm, uh, you know, obviously uh, women's basketball has dropped off a little bit, and I think that we can, you know, always be competitive there. We've got a legacy I think we're coach moving in the right that, direction. You know, I think this coach is good. They, uh, they find the right coach yeah. now, I think. No, no, I, no, no. I believe our, our coach is awesome. But I'm just saying that I, I think that, the AD putting values and responsibilities and controls in the, in the right places will make it so that we can be more successful long-term. And that's what I want to see. Obviously, I don't ever want to see, as an alumni, Tennessee involved in infractions and, you know, miscues. And it just happens as part of, part of today's sports. But I, I, I do believe that having the right athletic director in place who's about money and about doing things the right way uh, goes a long way. And I look at, you know, Mal Moore over at Alabama uh, for how long he was there just killing it, killing it. And so, um, you know, and and every sport came up. And so I think when you, when you have those kind of leaders in place, it makes it easier. So we shall see. Um, but I think yep. things are moving in the right direction. I will say, I think it's going smoother than I thought it was. And they have adults in the room. They have an AD that can fundraise. They're trying to clean up a lot of mess. I, I do feel bad about T and what happened there and it, the way this is ending and him going to Baltimore. And I don't know. I, I think that could have been handled a lot better. Um, Kyle, I think he you're was a third. Great ambassador oh, go ahead. For the team. I think he was a great ambassador for UT. And, and one of the things that I think is good that's coming out of this as well, and I hope comes out of this, is for a very long time, the successful coaches at Tennessee had deep roots in Knoxville. Johnny Majors played for UT. You know, um, the, uh, Bobby Dodd was at UT and then, you know, uh, went on to become a great coach at Georgia Tech. But before that, you had General Nayland. So all these guys were there for very, very long periods of time. And then Fulmer was from UT. And so um, I think there was always this pull that it had to be a UT guy, it had to be a UT guy. Alabama went through the same exercise right after Bear Bryant uh, passed away. And they had a few coaches in their turnover while they were trying to get back on track. And eventually they, they lucked out and they got Perkins. And, and then subsequent to him, they um, – had a little bit more of a struggle, and then they got saved and got back on track. And, and, you know, now they're a legacy program. And so I'm hoping UT can find some guy. He doesn't have to be a Knoxville guy who can step in, show a success, and want to be there and, 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 you know, and stay for a long time. You, you, you see yourself. Knoxville's a nice place to be. And if you're a football coach with a, a good program, they're, they're going to love you and you're going to love being there. There you go. Kyle, you're 30 seconds on the rise of Alabama and this championship season. How, how elated were you for that and then recruiting, uh, just having this uh, crazy signing day? How, how are you feeling? Feeling pretty good about it. Definitely a lot of fun to watch those guys play, especially during you know this weird COVID. 
It's kind of a weird season, right? When you play the 10 end conference games and then you play, so you only play, you know, 13 total games, uh, assuming you play in the conference championship and two um, CFP games. So definitely a different, different look and um, kind of weeded out some of those filler games too, you know, like those, you know, Arkansas State or New Mexico or Temple or whatever, um, you know, whoever it is. Weeds out some of that, and you really get to see pretty quick who's uh, who's ready and who's not. And it's kind of an interesting season with uh, with all that going on. But yeah, definitely a lot of fun to watch, uh, especially like Devonta Smith and the whole uh, Mac Jones kind of waiting his turn, and then just being a guy that you know, maybe he's up to the talent and you know, highest rated prospects really forward, but he, he, he's got to you know learn the game, learn mistakes, and um, came back. Are you walking into a tunnel as you wrap up here, Kyle? What are you doing? Oh, I might have my thumb on my... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was a, it just got progressive I was like Kyle is just wrapping up here I love that he's just like gradually moving farther and farther away from the pub <laughs> like no, just, I might have, just I might moving have. all away and I was like I guess that's how he's going to get off this call is he's just going to keep walking farther and farther away and I'll just drop him um, that's fair uh, guys we have to go but this has been good I don't know what to call this Thomas Roundtable but um, I think this is good we, we talked it through and uh, this was fun Hey, Chase, I want to give yep. you another topic to think about going forward. Oh, always looking is, for topics um, from my uncles. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. So so I love the idea of the almost all SEC schedule. I thought this year was fantastic for yep. college football and the SEC. So what I would love to see is I would love to see us go do away with our um, fixed opponent or fixed opponents and do a round table, whatever it is, with both, you know, you still play everybody in your conference or your side, um, and then you rotate the other ones. I don't know. There's, there's probably a way that we could do it um, where it's all, it's all SEC or almost maybe you get one or two games to start, and then it's all SEC after that, and maybe you just pick the best two teams. You do away with the East-West stuff. And... Um, I just think that that it was fun football to watch. I can't tell you how many games that you know. Well, every game mattered more. You don't have games. these Saturdays where it's just like, I there's no reason to go sit down and spend three hours watching Tennessee ten, Tennessee Tech. Like it's just taking those games out and the less uh, having less of those games, I think, is important. And just um, every game mattered on Saturdays. I think that was the biggest thing is like, there was no off week when your team was playing. Cause it was just a, an SEC only schedule or big 12 only schedule, all that kind of stuff. So every game mattered. And maybe, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's the fact that it, the re, the reason it seemed like the intensity increased, but when I watch, you know, the SEC play and I see the top to bottom parody that's existing now. Um, and it's not, you know, you still got Alabama and Georgia at the top, Florida, uh, but everybody else this year, you know, was fairly competitive. And 
so it was it was just so much more fun for me to watch uh, the SEC this year. So, you know, it might be something to think about. If, I hope they are anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, we must wrap up here, guys. Cousin Kyle, congratulations on the wedding. Um, the, it's good. Good news, man. Good things coming out of the pandemic. We're we're nearing the end, Kyle, and uh, I'm I'm happy for you. M- far more than Uncle Dave, who just who seemed very lukewarm about the whole thing, and I thought that was a little. Just, I don't know, a little off-putting from my perspective. Um, I didn't see Uncle Dave go to Instagram to post you to a story, to shout you out on that, to go through the What's camera the roll. I, I don't seem to recall any public displays of affection for you, Kyle, but that is where I stepped up, and uh, you're welcome. Well, thank What's you for Instagram? that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.